G'day and welcome to Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm really excited to have along Aaron Sice. He's the Assistant Director at the Housing Industry Association. He's been a lecturer at REWA on residential design codes and strategic developments, and he's worked for some of the bigger developers around Perth, both in-house and as a consultant. He's basically seen what works and what doesn't and seen a whole range of mistakes made by investors over the years. And today, I wanted to pull apart and get his inside view on Perth property development. And we also touch on and go actually pretty deep into the proposed R code changes uh, to medium density. And we're also going to talk about what potential impacts that's going to have on our market. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. Hey, Aaron. How are you going? Good, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really appreciate you coming along. I know we've got a lot to talk about today and as we've found in some of our uh, lunch catch-ups, we can get pretty off track. So uh, <laughs> see where we go with this, eh? Yeah, let's see where this lands. <laughs> I was actually trying to remember when we first met and it was a long time ago, I know that, and we're both still pretty young, even though we were just talking about how old we feel with your kids <laughs> going into high school and uh, you yeah. know, my world changing with the two-year-old. But um, I... I I think it might have been. I know it was a property investment group, and I and I think it was. Yeah, it was. It was WAIP West Australians Investing in Property. Ah, the acronym. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was held at Technology Park. It was like Brody Drive or something in Belmont. And how old do you reckon you would have been around? Well, how how long ago? I think it was actually before before I had my first child, which is now. Coming up, I was thinking about fifteen years ago. Yeah, that was my. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time, man. I know. So either uh, we've been around this investment space for a while, both as learners and you know investors, and then later found our paths into you know our different niches in property. And so, how do you kind of fit into the puzzle these days? Because I know you've uh, done a lot over the years and seen a lot and we're going to unpack some of that today but what does the picture look like now for you now for me so i've just come off the back of lecturing at rewind so i was doing that for about five five and a half years teaching people about the arcos because there was a whole bunch of different changes going on very small nuanced changes and that's really really since the 2010 amendment that introduced plot ratio for multi-dwellings i hope everyone knows about that one because some people still don't however uh now i'm actually the assistant director for the housing industry association so i cover all the building side of things which is the ncc changes and the technical issues to do with australian standards and standards committees and i'll run out run two committees here as well planning and technical and i'm also responsible for planning so that is the everything from the upcoming medium density codes through to the new the new interim housing policy and being involved with consulting and collaborating on a number of different spps and yeah so just being a real member advocate for the industry being able to fight the good fight at a strategic level rather than at the coalface as a statutory level as a as an upstart loudmouth building designer. 
And there is a lot of money to be made in the nuances and also mistakes to be made. And you would have seen a lot of them over the years, wouldn't you? Part of the reason actually I got out there with that R codes uh, lecturing was to tell people, hey, you know, that three by two villa and R40 is not your only option. And to really educate agents with the understanding about how to correctly appraise that that parcel of land. Well, you certainly made uh, a lot more agents know the true value of properties. Thanks uh, for that, Aaron, on behalf of all property investors. <laughs> well, well, the funny thing is, is that they still didn't understand it. Like yeah. there were people doing my course four and five times and they, they'd still walk away going, I don't understand how it's 20 apartments. I'm like, because you just do the maths and yeah. it's 20 apartments. Don't worry, listeners. There's pr- plenty of agents that don't know what they're doing out there <laughs> still. <laughs> they just don't get it. So, yeah. I mean, I often tell them, you know, one of my one of the first things I used to do was I, I didn't put in, you know, when you're looking for a site for a client or something like that, that you would, you in the old days, you'd put in, you know, R40 or R60 or unit sites or, or development potential into your search engine. Yeah, yeah, you put it in as a but key term. that brings up all the people that know what they're talking about. Exactly, yeah. So what you'd look for is you'd actually look for, I, my, my search function was STCA, subject to council approval, because then you always find the sites that people don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you need to look at the ones that don't have any keywords as well. It's the agent that's got no clues, often out of area. A lot harder to find. So it's just yeah. the guys that, or the girls out there that, that have a feeling that it's a development site but don't quite know what it is. And yeah, you, well, you went in the middle road of some idea. but Honey, you know, you just walk in and go, oh, it's not much, give you this, and then you turn around and you buy a 17-unit site and then six months later it's 117 apartments. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> and you've also worked for as a consultant, and I think you might have even been in-house at one stage for some of the larger developers. Um, yeah, yeah, for a long time, actually, in-house. Developed everything, really, um, house and land packages, apartments, over 55s developments. And I've also been involved with a number of different alternative construction methods as well oh, yeah. and what that entails. And you'd be amazed at how many local governments don't allow alternative construction methods, which is really okay. funny. Perth's always been very backward all round especially when it comes to construction <laughs> so yeah well you know if you want to do something really cool and funky like you know tiny houses or something like that you have to build it out of timber frame you can't look at a particular panel you can't look at you can't look at sea containers or you can't look at this or you can't you can't do these yeah. things with the local government so yeah housing stock in perth is very homogenized and it's, it's quite difficult to break up I guess because it is so homogenised, even when there's slight variations, people shy away from it. Lose their minds. They lose their minds, Jared. <laughs> Especially with communities. Like you start talking about communities where you want to put six two-bed apartments in an area that's known for three four-bed townhouses. Massing's exactly the same. The outcome for the cars are exactly the same, but people just lose their minds. And so, yeah, local governments all around the city that ban multi-dwellings or can only do multi-dwellings with a land use component instead of a instead of the plot ratio allowance and yeah all, all these kind of tips and traps and it's just what, what what do you do you can only you can only fight it so much before you have to just cave yeah. do you feel like the way that the r codes were changed retrospectively in the past could have been done any differently or better <laughs> it could have been better i'll tell you that um yeah well i, I think yeah, the R codes, 
the R codes are really difficult. They don't really don't recognise that modern construction typology and they really don't recognise modern lot typologies as well. So talking about house behind a house, we're talking about narrow lots, sloping lots like infill lots. Yep. Um, we're talking about squat lots, like if you've got a 12 by 20 lot, something like that, forget it. Like R codes just don't work. The R codes are really designed for that typical sort of... Yeah. 350 plus lot that's you know a one to two ratio it's like a 15 by 30 or it's a 20 by 40 or something like that you know it's not designed for these new modern lot typologies so that's why you see a proliferation of the old dap or the ldp now the rmds were introduced for newer states to try and address some of this and then they forgot to apply two stories to it (laughs) again i just my head spins but you know, you've, you've you've got a lot of these. A lot of it was was driven by by people who just didn't understand industry. And I don't know if you're aware or not, but just recently the medium density policy changes have been released, and the effort that DPLH have gone to, which is the Department of Planning, Lands and Heritage, DPLH have put a lot of effort into industry testing with not only the outcomes, but then also gone and costed those outcomes to make sure they're actually viable and used quantity surveyors. They've used um, project builders. They've used independent designers. They've used designers from project builders as well. They've used... So it's been a lot more thought out this time. Yeah, and they've used architects as well. So they've really... Because I felt like the changes last time created a lot of negative impacts, which I can understand you know citizens in councils not liking but it kind of put a bit yeah. of a tarnished the medium density and high density with a bit of a bad br- brush you and literally hit the nail on the head mate communities can't stand it because it, it's not delivering what they expected you know it's not bringing about the outcomes that they thought or, or that they value you know they yeah. value those those established trees they value value those kind of um, setbacks and 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 having that suburban feel. So when you go into suburbia and you say, "Oh, I'm just I'm just going to bring Northbridge with me," of course I don't like it. You know, so you've you've got local governments. Are, yeah, well, they've they've they're caught between a rock and a hard place as well because yeah. local governments, when they develop a local planning policy, right, that's the kind of social contract that they've got with their electorate, right. So that's what they're saying. We're going to develop this. If, if everyone agrees, this is what we're going to put on the ground. And then medium density comes along and basically undermines the whole thing. So, yes, there's this huge outrage in that space. So what this is doing, this not only is being tested by industry, with industry and for industry, it's also being tested with communities and with local governments as well. So right. local governments can turn around and say, hang on a minute, you know, how, how does this fit into our scope? How does this fit into what our electorate want? And the communities also turn around and they say, well, how does this how does this protect trees? How does this encourage green spaces? How does this encourage quality built form outcomes and considerate design? So that's where I think DPLH have really gone to town this time and they've really understood what Perth want. Now, you know what? It's not going to be perfect for communities. It's not going to be perfect for local governments and it sure isn't going to be perfect for, for, for builders and developers. But it's a heck of a lot better than what we've seen in the past, that's for yeah. sure. So what do you think, just take a step back for a minute, but you would have come across and many investors worked for different developers. What, why is property development, I guess, so appealing, so sexy 
for most. <laughs> the allure of, you know, being a property developer and telling your friends at your barbecue. Say, I'm a property developer at the local barbecue, but yeah. but I, I don't know, to be honest, because property development and everything it entails, when you look at the the, the rules you've got to you've got to work through, you've got to look at the the, the risks that you take on personally. Because you're on the inside and you know, you see what goes into any project to make it a success. And yet you can get lucky and pull off a basic project, you know, the first time, but some people certainly bite off more than they can chew more often than not. <laughs> luck is uh luck can sometimes actually really come into it. But yeah, you, you have to think about all the things you're putting on the line and then ask yourself, is is 20% actually a reasonable rate of return for, yeah. that, for that risk? And then some people don't focus on percentage, they focus on dollar value. And then you're saying, what, what, you just want like, what, 50 grand or 100 grand out of this? Yeah, that's fine. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Okay, but you took on $4 million worth of debt to to get that. Are you sure that's acceptable? Yeah. So I, I, I really do struggle with the idea that property development is sexy. It's not. It's dangerous. It's risky. If you're a first-timer, yep, you, you can luck out, which is great. And when the market's going with people as well, you know, it does correct. When the market's going with you, as we're starting to experience, it does start to correct mistakes and look, people look, you know. Yeah. You know, they all come out of the woodwork and then they use that that work that they put into the bull market, in the bear market, to sell courses and mentorship and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. meanwhile, and we've they're, seen they're the, the, the various spruikers and people that have come and gone. Even, even just local, you know, I call them personalities because they're, they're from Perth and they they reckon they understand the market. And they, they and you know what? They do in a bull market, but I've never seen these people reliably create returns in a bear market. Yeah. And when they do create returns, they're so subpar, but for some reason they're just blindly accepted because they're a personality. You know, yep. just it, it bugs me. I've been around a lot. You can probably tell I'm a little bit jaded by some of this, <laughs> but, but it's really frustrating to see, you know, like they're, they're, it's, it's really risky being a property developer. And, and I think the reason that first time... And that's what I'm trying to, I guess, show with this podcast is that, you know, there is a lot involved in property development and to go into it with experts around you and, you know, it's certainly not always what it cracks up to be because if you had bought a... Especially as you get bigger and start chasing the bigger deals. And that's why I was just saying, I, I think first-timers get a get a different sense of of what happens because they're taking on the simple projects they've yeah. actually taken the time the real time to find the lowest risk best return project and often it comes with just doing a splitter on a corner block or yep. renovating a three by one in a, an established leafy suburb into a five by two find you the know. best area you can afford and you know hold quality properties and if you can add value to that great that's, that's exactly, that's what they do. And I think people forget that if you just rinsed and repeated that that process all the way through, you would be a, a very successful person by the end of it in that space. You don't have to keep ratcheting up the complexity. You don't have to keep ratcheting up the, the, yeah, the difficulty and the returns. If you find something good and you've found a niche and you can exploit it, run with it. Yeah, Someone once told me that the the... the the best, the best thing you can do is find a niche that's an inch wide and a mile deep. It's the one that everyone steps over. 
And once you find that niche, just keep run with it, run in the vein. It's like mining for gold. You find the vein, you just keep mining the vein. You don't go, oh, gee, there's a bigger mountain over there. I'll go start over there. Why? You've got an established vein of gold right in front of you. Just just keep running with that one until it exhausts itself. And the great thing is as well is that you can make money in up and down markets by doing the smaller deals. Whereas if you want to start putting 10 apartments on the ground in North Perth, well, what what exactly do you think is going to, is, is going to happen when the market turns when you get black swan events like COVID or global financial crisis or increased lending criteria because of ASIC what happens then we've seen all all of these <laughs> over the last three to five years it's uh yeah I, I struggle with the idea that property development is sexy so who do you reckon should consider property development then depends on the kind of property development you're talking about I guess you know? It's a big question when uh, I mentioned development because it can mean a lot of things to a, a lot of different people. Can't it, it does, you know. There's so many different options for property development. I think that might be a better one, a, yeah. a, a better question to consider is that you, you've got to understand the different kinds. Like, for example, if you go to Bayswater and you cut an old house in half and you relocate it to, I don't know, Kalgoorlie, for example, and you insulate it, rewire it, reclad it, that might be cheaper than building in Kalgoorlie and you've generated 50 grand's worth of equity before you've even started. There, there's an option for people. You know, you've, you've got options to to take a standard block and, and cut it in half. You know, go look for an R20 block that's a that's a corner block or has two street frontages and you can develop it at minimum. Yep. Most people don't know that, but that's, that's entrenched in planning law at the moment and that applies to nearly every R20 suburb that, that exists. Yeah. So just to explain when you said develop it at minimum, what does that mean for the... Um, so there's minimum and average lot sizes. For the starting So out. when you... So for R20, it's 450. So most people think that a 900 square metre block is an R20 duplex block, which it is if it doesn't have any additional street frontage. But if it does, and that, not necessarily a corner lot either, like it might have a front and a rear street frontage, you could develop it at minimum, which is 350. So you only need 700 square metres. So if you've got a corner lot, let's say... Big difference, isn't it? 780, that's a duplex lot, an R20, without having to apply 5%. So there's all those little tips and traps yeah. in there. And like I said, the previous one was like renovating a 3-1 to be a 5-2 in an appropriate suburb. Like, if, for example, if you found a cool old 3 by one in Florida, go nuts. Yeah. You know, there's all those different kinds of property development. But then, of course, you move into... What happens with a green title 240 square metre R40 lot? You know, well, that's two single bed dwellings or it's uh, two two bed apartments or it's one, I don't know, maybe four by two or five by two as a two storey. There's so many different options yeah. there for, for people to, to take advantage of. So just choose your market, know your market and make sure you're responsible with what you're putting on the ground. Especially if you're putting four million bucks out there to, to get fifty grand, it's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So, what are the keys to what makes someone successful? From what you've seen, can you boil it down to any steps? Yeah, or? I reckon it's just finding that niche, finding that niche that works for you and that you understand, and the market understands you and what you're delivering. There's so many companies out there that have that are two and three person bands that just go around, they find duplex sites, they cut them in half and they build and sell. Rinse, repeat, rinse, yep. repeat. And they're successful people Get really good at it. because they've found that one thing that works for them. You look at some of the renovation people around town as well. They they just do the one thing. They, they yep. find 
a three better and make it a four better. They might find a four better and make it a six better. They they do HMOs. I mean, you've got people doing you, you know multiple tenancies under the one roof. That's a that's something that works. It pays down debt pretty quickly as well. So what are the what's a successful deal? I guess it depends on yeah. It really does depend on where you are. First timers really need to think about their research and and, and what they're doing. Yep. But just because you're a third-time property developer does not mean yeah. you need to move away from that model either if it's working. Yeah, no, good message. On the flip side of that, you've mentioned some of the common mistakes already about taking on too much too soon and, you know, stepping out of your lane and, you know, trying to always get bigger for bigger sake. Is there any other, I guess, major things, especially from within your space that trip people up and are more common mistakes that, most definitely i guess make a site not profitable or make a site not where someone can't do what they think they tend to do yeah there's there's a lot of things look i've designed everything from three apartments on 240 square meters through to hotels almost on 450 square meters that are you know nine stories high and everything in between and i can tell you that the number one way that people get un- come unstuck is especially in the apartment space not employing a project manager to get between planning approval and your cdc or your building permit approval stage okay collating your surveyor your land gate uh, applications your build strata applications your structural engineer your fire engineer your draftsman your architect your local government applications your acoustic engineering all of it some people just don't understand the work that's involved in that space to collate all those trades in a time now i guess it all falls to the individual and if they aren't they haven't done it many times before it can take a very long time to collate that <laughs> even if you have done it many times before Get a project manager. There's always something you forget. They're worth a couple of grand. Just put it put it on the cards and just, just have them schedule those trades, organise those trades, keep people moving, and you'll be lodged for CDC within, within you know, a sh- the shortest period of time possible. I know people, I've had to work with people that think that, well, because I know someone, that I'm suddenly responsible for organising their CDC. And you keep trying to say to them, I'm not a project manager. Like, that's that's not that's not what i'm contracted to do if you contract me to do it i'm happy to do it but i don't know people don't they don't value the the process very well especially for complex developments you know yeah that's one tip and trap i think for apartments for land development for the love of god put your applications in for planning and your da concurrently don't wait for subdivision approval before you lodge your da do the two together and and on the side note when you are talking about approvals Make sure you've got enough time to get your 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 lodge your, your your water corporation design and your Western Power lodgements well ahead of time. They're always delayed. Make sure that you've got those in place. If you're doing a renovation, again, have a nominated supervisor. Please yeah. have a nominated supervisor. Anyone that has any of these things, when you get to the other side of it, it's like. Massive learning lesson, uncovered a whole bunch of things and costs that I didn't realize. And now I wish, and next time I will always use 
the relevant professional and be prepared to pay for it. It's just the learning. Yeah, hard. everyone seems to think they can just do it on their own because they've got a bit of time. Yeah. I could learn this. That's not the point. Time is one thing. Knowledge is another. <laughs> we touched on the R codes changes for medium density. What are some of the yeah. important parts to that that investors need to know about? And I don't expect you to summarise the draft <laughs> changes in, uh, you know, five five to ten minutes. But I'm just going to flick through probably here. I'm just going to flick yeah. through here. No, in all seriousness, there's a, a fair few changes. One is they're proposing to up the density bonus across different site categories. So, for example, if you sort of stand lot, and you're bound by all four sides or five sides or whatever it is behind you, your standard zoning applies. If you're on a corner lot or you've got a, an amalgamated lot, you can apply for the next zoning up. Okay. And if you've got a big corner lot or you've amalgamated to be a big corner site and you're a certain size, you can apply for the next zoning up again. So, for oh. example, R30 becomes R35, and if you've got, then it might become R40. Wow after that so that that's a that's a huge incentive to get put bigger developments together larger sites i guess and more suitable locations in corners and yeah, yeah more suitable like get, get amalgamated sites in more suitable locations a more homogenous outcome for a location and i guess that is going to add more value to sites that are side by side and you know you know the old adage of two neighbors wanting to sell together often I see that you can sometimes in the market at the moment get better prices for the two sold separately because you deal with mum and dad's on the two separate sales and then you deal with the larger yeah. developer on a combined sale and the larger developer knows more about the mums and, than the mums and dads and is prepared to pay less. So the market at the moment often pays less for larger sites because there isn't. Which is the complete opposite of what's happening on the Sydney yep. and Queensland board at the moment. You, you look at those sites that are side-by-side, side, they go for megabucks. So it could be worth going out and uh, buying select locations close to each other then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like diverse neighbourhoods. I like that eclectic look of work, having all different lots, different shapes and sizes. I don't necessarily like having monster developments yeah. within a, within a, a, a suburb. But a double block is not exactly, yeah, not exactly a monster yeah. development. Especially if it's well located. You know, if you're talking about Charles Street, for example, where you can't take advantage of R100 unless you've got 2,000 square metres, which is basically four blocks, that to me is excessive. But two blocks, yeah, it's, it's all right. Great. You know, it's a, it's, it's a local icon. Another one to look out for as well is that the single bed dwelling concession which is a one-third concession for developing single-bed houses, is actually being changed to being a small dwelling concession. Same sizes, so under 70 square metres on the footprint, but a small dwelling. So previously, if you wanted to do like a tiny house, for example, as a studio home, you weren't allowed to because it didn't have one bedroom and one other habitable room. That was a definition. So if you want to do a bunch of tiny houses, you actually get now a, a concessional size for that. On the same breath, if you want to do a small two-bedder, you also can as well. So it's bringing back the two-bed-style villa developments that you might have seen through Morley and Dianella and Yokon and Tewart Hill and Spearwood and Borgoon and stuff, which is which is great. I mean, we need more two-bed villa product out there, you know, the old two-by-one. Especially when you consider, you know, 
there are apartments that readily accommodate, you know, two bedrooms with decent living area under 70 square metre size. So it's yeah. really only for a two by one. I mean, let's face it, it's 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 not luxury accommodation. But the point is, it's affordable accommodation, it's dwelling diversity. We haven't had this product developed in Perth for 30 years. So, yeah, why, why do we need to have a $4,000 strata fee to live in a two bedroom? <laughs> Strata fees, no one's happy with those. <laughs> no one's happy with those. The other one to look out for is landscaping is now being mandated for single-tier dwellings, okay. so basically you know, townhouses yeah. and villas. But it's really only a 1.5 by 1.5-metre tree zone, and it can be incorporated anywhere. So it can be in the front setback area. It can be in the, it, there's also one in the rear setback as well. Okay. And So it's not a, it's not a huge yeah. impost. Um, I, I think I think we'll be able to manage that one. Yep. I think the I think the lot sizing issue, I think the the two bed issue, and I think the uh, what else would there be? Is there any changes in the over fifty fives area that I'd kind of seen rumoured, or is that not made it? Not yet. No, we are uh, as part of I guess where I am now at HIA. We are trying to get a bit more improvement in that space and accommodate a bit more, but. For the, for the single housing models as well, they're bringing across some of the universal design elements from Design WA's Volume 2 okay. of the apartment guide, which is, you know, 20% have to be a silver level, livable housing, et cetera, or, you know. Yeah. So whether that translates to having, don't know, it doesn't have the kind of bonus. No. You kind of have to wonder where their head is with the over 55 space. I don't know why it's still five and over. Yeah. But that said, they said, oh, is it appropriate to have an over 55 dwelling just one dotted around the suburbs and you sort of think well, well yes then mum can live behind you or over the road down the street in an appropriate house and yeah. she'll stay there forever i don't know why that's a problem to be honest but that's not my yep. call well hopefully in the future i mean i've dealt with a lot of sellers that are downsizing and you know when you ask where would you like to live it really yeah the biggest pain for them is learning a new area and i try to get them excited about it hey you know like discover a new cafe and a new their friends are there their, their doctors are there their shops are there their their, their grandkids know where they live like yeah it's just not cool so yeah there's definitely i'd love to see something in the future on that because we're we're not getting any younger <laughs> or our parents aren't anyway none of us are yeah. mate. none of us are i threw my back out the other day putting the washing out like that's a definitely an old man injury <laughs> yeah it is an old man injury right <laughs> is there any other areas of opportunity in the changes that you can see or are you really going to need to get in case by case on I think some of the opportunities are also going to present themselves in the low-density code, which is going to be part A of Volume 1. So the medium density is part B of Volume yep. 1. Part A will be a low-density code. And I do have a strong feeling a lot of that will be informed by the interim review changes that are coming about. Yeah, well, we'll probably have to get you back when those are clearer <laughs> yeah, whole other code <laughs> yeah there'll, there'll definitely be some opportunities in the lower zoning spaces as well not necessarily medium density especially with regards to corner lots and and certain allowances and and different height allowances etc dual key options etc yep. it's all it's all pretty cool and i guess looking through to all the proposed changes in these medium, medium density codes what impact do you reckon it might have on the overall market? Is it going to see it, you know, put pressure or supply in different areas? Like, 
It's going to put supply in areas that are currently short supply. So, for example, like I said, the new two-bed product with a land component, that's going to be coming back again, which I think is going to be good. There'll be a lot – I think there'll be a – just it'll just force a lot of more more two-storey development as well where there would have been singles otherwise because of the landscaping provision. But that said, if you're buying a courtyard now that's 40 square metres instead of 20 – and you've got a in a leafy green suburb, and you've got a lovely jacaranda planted out back. You sort of have to ask, well, that might actually add value. Yeah. I don't know whether it's going to add value to the floor, but it'll certainly it'll certainly make suburbs a lot more appealing and infill suburbs. Like I think that the days of Balga and Spearwood are very numbered with those, with those infill outcomes, very numbered. And as long as local governments get on board and understand that this is a good outcome, and don't then start fiddling around the edges with it. Yeah, flying their extra things over the top with split codes and trying to get control back. Split, split codes are still a, a pain in the backside. But the new LPS regulations, which are due for Gazette any day now, basically elevates all the R codes to subsidiary legislation. So local governments will have to have this window to modify all their LPPs to fall in line because it's no longer a due regard document. Subsidiary legislation is exactly that. So if an LPP doesn't align with the R codes, it has to demonstrate why properly through the, you know, what was it, what was it, you know there's a term that was used the other day. It was a, in a manner approved by the commission or something like that. And, yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty onerous for local governments to vary through LPPs. So yeah, watch this space. Well, that's, that's good in a way because some local governments have run to town on, you know, their... Their interpretation? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, but the thing is, if you've got a, a, a real heritage argument or yeah. you've got a real sense of place argument, yeah, for sure, you want to keep that. Everyone understands that. No one's ever going to argue against that. But when you just start saying things like no plot ratio for multiple dwellings use land component only size, you sort of start sitting there going, I don't know about that. You know, that's where's your justification for that? If you're still allowing the dwelling type, why... Why change the incentive Make to provide it? Almost it. impossible to do the dwelling type. Yeah. Actually, there's another one actually in the medium density that might help people. Land component has gone away from plot ratio for multi dwellings and is going back to a land only component, but it's reduced. So, for example, at R40, it was the 220 average and 180. And then for multi dwellings, it used to be an average of 250 under the very, very old code of pre 2010. And then the plot ratio came in, which was 0.6, which basically meant, I don't know, on a 728 square meter block, you'd get six apartments, right? Yeah. But now it's changed to an average lot area of 115. Not minimum, but yeah. average. So on a 728 square meter block, that's still six dwellings. So, it, but it's what it's doing, I think, is going to largely undermine the no plot ratio, must use land component, and then all the governments are like, oh, crap, we have to actually allow multiple dwellings now. Apply the test. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's going to be one to watch as well. There'll be some opportunities in that space there. Yeah, as well. it'll open up potentially some sites that haven't been developable, and I guess it always comes down. Haven't been developed because of no 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 plot ratio, and suddenly it is it's allowed to do that dwelling type based on the land component now. Yeah, so that's one to watch. And I guess it all comes down to what's going to be met well by the market and what is you know sensible development ultimately. You know. Yeah. I think it largely comes back to community perception as well, is that if I say it's a plot ratio of 0.6, and what does that mean I can get on the site? Is it 6? Is it 8? Or is it 4? And then you say, well, it's 
depending on the lot, the the size of the dwelling, whether you're doing one bedders or three bedders or two bedders. That that's very grey for a community to understand and, and accept that one lot can have nine hundred different outcomes about what can be put on it. Whereas this gives the basically everyone the opportunity to say seven twenty eight divided by one fifteen is six point three, therefore it's six six apartments maximum. And it doesn't matter whether it's three beds, two beds, or one beds, six apartments. That's yeah. all they're seeing. So anything else to add before we wrap up? I know we can talk about all kinds of... Uh, oh, really? We've got a couple of fair bit. <laughs> yeah, we have today, haven't we? <laughs> Look, I really appreciate your time because I know how busy you there's are. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot changing in this space, you know. And mm. I, I, I worry that people are just going to go out there expecting everything to be the same as it always was. And Perth is changing. Perth is having it needs to maintain its its garden city ideology, you know. And without these kind of controls in place, it's just gonna we're just gonna end up like multiple dwellings in Dayton. You know, it's just not not what anyone wants. So yeah, sprawl. Stay on top of the regulations and the rules, and and understand what you can do. And if you don't understand, call someone. So is there any way that you can help our listeners, or you know, how do you do you do any consulting to private investors these days or i do a little bit on the side i don't really yeah. do anything much anymore i know you're pretty occupied with everything else that you've got on your plate but you know occasionally i take on the odd little project here and there for people but people who know where to find me can find me pretty easily <laughs> enough so i think uh, i'm just happy that you're uh involved in all these changes and even if you can't help the individuals now i feel like you're helping us all just being involved oh, i'm happy to happy to chat anytime you can probably chuck and chat the ears off a of gun dart to quote star wars but it's just one of those things like uh, i'm happy to present i'm happy to talk to people i just yeah it's just whether whether people need design services or not anymore great well, thanks <laughs> mate appreciate your time thanks jared take care mate chat soon.